Welcome to Fifth Wall's Fly on the Wall podcast, where we explore the shifts occurring in real estate, technology, and society that are driving our cities towards a more equitable, green, and tech-enabled future. I'm your host, Brendan Wallace. In today's episode, I am joined by Scott Reckler, the CEO of RxR Realty. Having lived and worked in New York through several of its rebirths, Scott shares his perspective on the future of New York City and how the broader real estate industry should be using technology to better serve its customers. Enjoy the conversation. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining. Where are you coming in from? I'm coming in from my home in Long Island. Nice, nice. Back in back in New York. Well, that's what I kind of want to start the conversation with. You know, you've you've kind of become so synonymous, obviously, with New York City, New York City real estate, and New York City as a, as a cultural hub and kind of public and private sector collaboration in the city of New York. And New York, you know, for better or for worse, has kind of been thrust into this question of like, what is the future of cities? Um, and I'm curious just to get your take on it holistically. Like people say New York is changing, people are moving out of New York, people are saying it's going to be resurgent. Like, what is your view of what New York is like five years out from this um, today? Right. So, right. so first, I'll say I've lived through other times in my history, whether it was 9-11 or Superstorm Sandy or after the 08 crash, where people have written the obituary of New York only to be proven wrong. And, uh, and New York each time has uh, you know, reinvented itself, rebuilt itself uh, better and stronger. Now, it can never be taken for granted. And there's always risk and it needs leadership and it needs commitment. Um, but I think that it is the, it, the concept of resiliency and rebuilding and reimagining itself is the very DNA of what New York is about. And, and why is that? Because it's number one raw material in New York is talent. Um, you know, that has been the driver historically. Um, and it's only gotten, um, I would say, more diverse uh, in terms of, of, of the type of people, the type of industries, the type of expertise over the last decade. And so what gives me a lot of hope coming uh, out of this, this COVID crisis is the amount of companies that have recognized the importance of having locations in New York to be able to capture that talent. And if you're also thinking about where, you know, COVID has been such an accelerant, right? In this last 10 months, we've had 10 years of innovation and of, of adoption. Um, and, and, and what it's really led to is that the blossoming of the knowledge-based economy. And so this generational shift. And so New York is extraordinarily well positioned uh, in that economy. And you've seen companies like Google and Facebook and Disney and Pfizer make meaningful commitments to build campuses there for their future decades, right? To hire people and bring people there. So I think we're going to have a rough uh, you know, number of months as we get through COVID and reopen our, our, our economy and the restaurants that we lost, the small businesses and the cultural institutions that have had challenges. But the bridge to the other side is the prime jobs are going to be in New York. And so people are going to come to take advantage of that. Plus, you know, it's also, as we've seen, you know, New York was having some challenges, right? New York was having capacity challenges on our streets, in our, on our, in our transit systems. We're having affordability challenges with our housing. This also, in some ways, relieves some of that. And maybe as we reimagine New York more regionally, so it's got a, not just New York City, but around New York City and the, and the areas 
that connect New York City by transit and sort of take away some of that, that extra uh, you know, demand uh, and, and as a relief valve, that will help some of that for a period of time. Uh, and also affordability because prices have come down will help that for a period of time. So you know, I, I have a lot of confidence that, that New York uh, is gonna get to the other side. But as I said, nothing can be taken for granted um, and leadership's gonna be key, not only uh, elected officials, and we have a mayor race coming up in uh, you know, the primary in June, which in New York is usually the, the main race, but then leadership in terms of the, the business community, the civic community, the cultural community, really coming together and, uh, and working in sync on, on doing what it takes to help get the city back and, and vibrant again. And there's a bunch of kind of things to unpack there because there's, I think, a, a few conjoined theses in that. But like, I guess the first is on your point that, you know, the obituary of New York has been erroneously written many times before. I always think back of that old headline, right, uh, where it was, uh, was Ford, to city when, yeah, when Beam was right. mayor, you know, dropped, dropped dead, dead on, on yeah. around the debt. And it's like New York has just authoritatively demonstrated its resiliency, its ability to reinvent itself with respect to infrastructure, talent, um, you know, being a cultural and financial hub. And I guess one of the questions I have in that is, is that one of the unique features of New York versus other cities is that it sits at the intersection of kind of three states, right? And there's um, interjurisdictional issues. And I know you've focused a lot on that. And do you see that as an asset or a liability? And, and how does that fit into your thesis around New York's durability? That's, it's a good question. And, and actually, when you look back through history of these cycles, it, historically, you'd be in periods of time where the, the, there would be sort of a flight from the city, urban flight right. to the su- suburbs surrounding New York City, whether that's even in New York State, but you know, Long Island, Westchester, Connecticut, New Jersey. And you'd see job growth go through there. And that was pretty much into the 80s and into the 90s. And then we've seen the opposite over the last couple of decades, where we've seen the flight from the suburbs back to the urban center. I think this time around, uh, because of a a more coordinated uh, level of of, uh, commitment by companies and by government, uh, and by, I think, just the way that people live and work differently today, uh, I think we're going to actually see a, a more synchronized uh, growth and, and coordinated growth between the city itself and the states and suburbs that surround that. And I think there's a realization that New York cannot maintain its competitive advantage if it doesn't take advantage of the ability to put density and, and jobs and housing in the markets that surround New York City because the cost of living in the city is so, is so great. And I think this whole concept of a future of a distributed workforce um, or the, a, a matrix workforce where people are able to work from uh, remotely from those suburban areas will only enhance that. And it's like you have, you know, New York kind of sits in this, at the nexus of these inherent collective action problems between city and state, between states, between different authorities. And what's interesting is like, to some extent, the pandemic has almost been a canary in the coal mine of the good and the bad around these collective action problems, meaning you know, I think every state, every city recognized how intermeshed they are all with one another from a public health perspective, um, from an economic perspective, and now from a mobility and a, you know, the virtualization of work perspective. And it feels like there's almost some positive momentum that might come out of that around how city and state and, you know, states within each other might actually cooperate in solving some of these collective action problems around housing and infrastructure and transportation. Um, so that will be really, I think, exciting to see. And 
I imagine embedded also in, in your thesis around this resiliency around New York City is a view that the office, right, this kind of big existential question that it seems like everyone's asking themselves, which is like, what is the future of the office? You believe that the office and kind of office in dense urban environments is durable, is something that is that, that is here to stay. And I, I guess maybe I want to ask the question a little differently, because I talked to, to so many real estate CEOs, and I've talked to um, retail CEOs. And um, when I talk to a lot of retail CEOs, what they say is, you know, our obituary has also been pre-written a couple times. People thought the catalog business was going to kill us, and it didn't. Now everyone thinks e-commerce is going to kill us, and it won't. I'm not so sure about the latter one, but I guess when you think about that argument, what's different about Office and its durability in a virtual world? Like, why is Office so durable? You think it's it's a it's a great analogy, and I'm going to uh, agree with you. I don't think it, I don't think it is different. I think the analogy of e-commerce to retail to is is really similar to remote working and video conferencing to office the so, so there's going to be a an acceleration of obsolescence of commodity office product that is not a a product that is energizing experiential and drives people from working from home but to come to the office and to right. come to the city center and engage with their peers build culture get mentored, of uh, upward mobility. Um, and, and that is something that, you know, is something that we've believed in for quite some time. You know, I've said for years now that the, the workplace is no longer nine to five, it's five to nine. And there's a merger of home and work life. And that you need to actually be curating activities within the four walls of office buildings. And that's so analogous exactly to what you said with retail, right? Exactly. The retail is not dying. It is just fundamentally changing and it's becoming more experiential. You need to be able to offer, you know, your customer an experience that's immersive, that's lifestyle driven, that's um, differentiated than what they can get um, online. And the same is true, right? Like we've communicated a lot over Zoom, but I think the experience of interacting in your office is just inherently more memorable. And how do we kind of create a both environment where both things can coexist and complement each other. And I think landlords that office landlords that figure that out and lean into that are totally going to thrive. I want to shift gears a little bit to talk about um, your view of tech and how tech is colliding with real estate, because you Scott have been kind of at the vanguard of this for so long, right? I mean, your involvement in tech at the intersection of real estate predates fifth wall by a decade. Um, and I'm just curious, like, how have you seen what is today called prop tech emerge as a category into its own right? And what's been your experience of that? Yeah, so it, it, it's interesting. If you go back 20 years um, and a little bit more than 20 years, the two, I would say, case studies for me that I was actively involved in that let me see how important it was to think about real estate as a service. And if you're going to think about real estate as a service, you need to digitize your business as the rest of the world has digitized itself. You know, you've seen, uh, you know, post the 2000 tech bubble, where while, while it didn't, you know, a lot of companies blew up, the infrastructure for technology, you know, those seeds were planted during that period of time. And if you look right. at all the companies that have grown, they grew from that infrastructure that was invested in that tech bubble. And, and so now real estate, really had not taken a hold. You know, if you look at the, the, as you know, the industries of adopting technology, we're at the bottom three. 
uh, next to healthcare and government, which is never where you want to be. Um, but you know, I think that that's changing. It has changed dramatically, and, and COVID has accelerated that change. A because our customers are younger, right? And and the, their with they their lives outside of the office buildings or their rental apartments, they're used to a much more personalized, digitized way of life. And uh, and so you need to provide that level of service to them if you're going to be able to retain them as your customers. Um, and then also the now as the world's changing as quickly, being able to have transparency as to what's actually happening within your space, right? Because if you think about it, as I said, it's real estate as a service. It's not just about building four walls. It's merchandising what happens in those four walls. You can't merchandise and satisfy your customer's needs if you don't know how your customer is behaving. And so you need to understand when they're in their office space, you know, who's collaborating with who? How many people are in, in the space at any one time? What amenities are they using? What amenities are they not using? And you got to constantly be adjusting your product offering to meet their needs. And you got to be using data to drive, you know, the, you know, predictive analytics to, to better understand who's going to stay, who's going to leave. And I mean, you're, I feel like you're seeing this across every dimension, right, of the real estate industry, which obviously we look at from home building and how home builders are understanding consumer preference and home buying preferences a priori, like well before consumers actually understand it to at the asset level in terms of industrial IoT. And I'm curious to get your view in terms of how that intersects with sustainability. As we, as we think about you know, moving towards a carbon neutral real estate future, you know, we have a new administration coming in in the Biden administration, which looks like it's gonna have a democratic legislature, which will probably expedite a lot of its climate policy initiatives. I guess, how do you think the federal government and the local government, using maybe New York and their carbon neutrality laws, a petri dish for this, and the private sector can work together to advance their mutual interests in moving towards a carbon neutral future? And how have we failed to do that historically? I feel like you'd have a really interesting perspective on that. You know, listen, it's, uh, this, is, this is one of these weird situations right now where the three stakeholders that you just laid out or, or, or more, if there are more, there's a whole alignment that everyone wants to be in a carbon neutral in, uh, situation on real estate. Everyone wants to try to get to the same goal. The problem is that people are approaching it uh, in different ways. And, um, and, and, and unless we create a aligned structure where the private sector, the real estate owners, government, uh, the energy sector are all aligned to get to the same spot, but really driven by market, right? Because we can't really just put a top down um, right. mandate because every situation is different. We're not going to get there. You look at some of the laws that are passed in New York right now and, you know, and where the, the, the penalties, if you don't actually meet the laws, is you're just writing penalty checks Versus, right. you know, why would you not have, you know, carbon uh, trades, right? We can do cap and trade and actually encourage other people to create more sustainable buildings and be able to buy some of that sustainability along exactly. the way. So now you're creating an alignment. And it's such a complicated problem, like the problem of how do you get to carbon neutral? Because it, it feels like this, this like Gordian knot of com complex interests. Because when people quote that, okay, the real estate industry is responsible for 30% of all energy consumption. It's like, well... That's not totally the case because the buildings are just housing 
the economy, right? right? So the U.S. economy happens indoors. We're a knowledge economy. So it, what really is happening is that the businesses are using energy inside buildings, and then the buildings are consuming the, the energy effectively. Exactly. Um, so you have that kind of confounding problem. And then what's interesting is that some of the carbon neutrality laws that have been enacted, they're kind of, they're almost ignoring that. So it's like the, the energy is being used by the tenant, as you said. So tenants are keeping their monitors on and they're running air conditioning. But then if you are in violation of a particular environmental standard, that fine just gets sent to the address. Doesn't get sent exactly. to the tenant, gets sent right. to the address. So there's- and, and, and I think you have to create this transparency and alignment with, and alignment with that tenant so you're in sync to right. actually both work towards you know, creating a more sustainable building. And, and on the other side of it, right, you have what you were talking about, which is that the, the building doesn't control where its energy is sourced from. Whether it's from right. a coal plant or from solar is not the building's choice. The building's just located where it is. So um, what, what's interesting is how the Biden administration will promote collective action between the energy sector and the utility sector, the real estate industry itself, but then also tenants and like making tenants recognize that their consumption behaviors in turn are leading to these externalities, right? For right. real but estate. Jeff, you just to give you things that people don't appreciate though, as an example, New York City as on a per capita basis is the most energy efficient uh, you know, place in the, in the country. Is that and true? Why? I didn't because know that. Public transit. Huh. And so density, right, creates a more sustainable world when you have public transit and take cars off the road. Right. And, and, or, or, and people can walk and people can ride bikes. Yeah. And, and I think it's just, it'll be, it'll be this moment in time where I think the real estate industry is probably going to almost segment between those real estate owners that really lean into this as an opportunity, both from a policy perspective, but also it doesn't get talked about a lot now, but like it's good business, right? Like yeah. if your buildings and all the tenants that are using you know, are occupying your buildings, are using less energy to produce the same thing, the same services, the same products, that is a consumer surplus. That's a net positive for the world and for you and for them, right? So it's like yeah. we should all be rooting for that. You know, Brent, I would even say beyond energy, I would just say that I think we're at a point uh, coming out of COVID right now that our generation, this is our moment like there was post-World War II, post the Great Depression. And we're either going to come out and we're going to tackle some of these big challenges like sustainability, like, um, like equitable, and, and like, like systemic racism, um, you know, that are out there right now. There's, this is the moment that we're going to look back and we're going to either find that we had the chance to be the next greatest generation or we missed it. We have to all be thinking in that context um, which is a hard way to, to have to think, but that's where we have to be, you know, taking that approach right now. And, and it almost feels like COVID was this kind of awakening of the real estate industry in a, in a, in a very introspective way. Where like this responsibility, this kind of social responsibility, this public health responsibility, this sustainability responsibility has been thrust on them. And I, to my point earlier, I do think there'll be this natural division between the real estate owners that embrace that, that, that understand that real estate as an industry is so interconnected into the fabric of society and our economy and our demographics and our ecology, that um, those owners that embrace that, and I do think technology is an enabler to embracing it, um, are really going to thrive. And it's going to truly separate those who get that and have that vision like you, Scott, and those that don't. What excites you the most? Like when you 
when you look out five years, like what are you most excited about? Um, and it doesn't have to be New York centric, uh, just generally, what are you most excited about? No, I, I, th I think, you know, what um, excites me the most is how in the early stages of the development of IoT f for the built environment really is. I mean, I was, you know, I remember right before COVID, I was out in the Microsoft campus in, in uh, Seattle and I was touring their lab and seeing all the innovations and even listening to their, you know, top uh, technologists basically talking about how to them, this whole concept of IoT and these things, this is like three or five years old, right? This is not, this is not like we're talking about 25 years old. We're, you know, so we're all really at the early stages. And, and you know, when, when we're all able to actually start collecting the data and using that data to better, um, you know, operate our buildings, operate our properties, serve our customers, live our lives, um, you know, I think the acceleration of, of, of innovation um, and productivity and prosperity is going to be something that, that we can't even imagine today. And I, I would just say that the, the downside to that, though, is, uh, and what worries me, so that's what I'm most excited about, what worries me is it is a have and have not environment, right? That the, 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 the companies and the people that are vested where they can actually ride that level of innovation are going to, have, you know, going to continue to keep getting a, a bigger advantage over those that don't. And, you know, we're going to have this sort of K-shaped recovery. And so what that's also going to require us as a, as a society and, and leadership from government is to be very intentional about how do we retrain people who, you know, don't have the skill set to participate in this? How do we help build equity for the people that weren't able to participate in this, uh, in this new environment? Um, you know, how do we help people that lost their businesses rebuild the net worth to actually rebuild the business. And I think it's such a profound point what you were saying about how making a building smart changes so much because there's, again, going back to corollaries, it's like, you know, this used to just make calls, right? And now it does everything. Now it's not, it's not a phone, it's a smartphone, right? And it's like, once you let technology consume that, you can't put that genie back in the bottle. And the social changes, the demographic changes, the behavioral changes that have ensued from just the smartphone yep. have accentuated many of the differences and many of the problems um, that were afoot before. And it's like, if you're not ready and self-conscious about dealing and confronting those issues head on, they can be really problematic. And I think the same is true with buildings, which I think is what you're saying, which is yep. today, most buildings are dumb. They're basically like the old phone. They make calls, buildings house people but eventually they're gonna become smart. And when they become smart, that can either be an opportunity to make society, societies more inclusive, more durable, more sustainable, the things we want, or they can become insidious and right. like bring out the worst of what we are dealing with as a culture, as an economy, as a society today. And so I think it's so prescient that you're, you're saying something like that because again, I think it's the real estate owners that that have that forward vision that are really going to steer the future through the built environment. And that, that's why it's so exciting to always have these conversations. With you know, and then to your point, I mean, look at what's going on right now with the, the social media. We've seen what happened in Washington and, and, the, and, and people pointing to the responsibility of Facebook and Twitter, uh, you know, for, for allowing uh, things to sort of run without any guardrails yeah. and without any view of what those consequences are. And I think those, that's your point, right, is that this needs to be 
something that is thoughtful, intentional, and you have to have a greater sense of responsibility for society as a whole. Um, if you're because you're unleashing something that will, you know, that you just can't even, put you know, back and, in the bottle, right? When you can't put it, and I think you know, like for for, for buildings, the biggest thing is starting with is foundationally. You know what? What should the privacy rights be? Right? How do you? Right. What, what do you do with that data that you're collecting? How do you ensure the data you're collecting doesn't in any way uh, in, infringe someone's personal privacy or your customers put the the, the information about your customers' uh, data at risk in any way? So really, being thoughtful about that also is critical. And security, and you yeah. know, um, you know, potential for cyber terrorism at now an asset level is, is very real. I, I feel like we could talk about this forever. Yeah, exactly. Scott, um, <laughs> but anyway, it's always so interesting to get your perspective because you're always so forward looking um, around technology and how it's colliding with the real estate industry and how to think about that from a public sector perspective, but also a private sector perspective. So I always love these conversations. Yeah, me too. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fly on the Wall. All of these episodes and more are available on our YouTube channel. To learn more about Fifth Wall, visit our website at www.fifthwall.com.